0: This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm Michael Sears, your host, and I'm joined by Lieutenant Commander Chris Hart. Lieutenant Commander Hart is a permanent military instructor in the Leadership, Ethics, and Law Department. And he has earned several graduate degrees, including an MBA from the University of Maryland and a Master's of Engineering Management from Old Dominion University. Chris, welcome to Radio Stockdale.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's an honor to be here with you in Radio Stockdale. I'm excited to talk to you about Test Step.
0: You know, and Test Step is right up your alley because you're a submariner, you're a nuclear trained engineer, you are the subject matter expert for this interactive series. And this is all about the physics of water pressure, right?
1: You might think it's just about the physics of water pressure, but there's a lot more to it. What this case study is really about is what the physics of water pressure does to the humans on board the submarine, because there's all sorts of technical stuff that happens. And we try not to get too into technical stuff in this case study. That makes our jobs really hard as submariners. We have to make some really tough life or death decisions, and that's what this case study is really about: how to make those decisions amidst a lot of uncertainty and sometimes being very uncomfortable with maybe what your position in the hierarchy is. You might have to speak some truth to power and give forceful pushback to your boss, and a lot of times that's uncomfortable.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying this, and and this is the time in these in this series where I usually say. Shameless plug for some of the things we've done at the Stockdale Center. This is an interactive case study that's online at www.stockdaleinteractive.com slash test depth. And I say that because what we're doing is The series is having the folks who actually built this stuff, Commander Hart in this case, to to actually talk to faculty and students about how to actually prosecute this case, how to teach the case, and actually how to absorb the case. So Let's go ahead and jump right into it and really start talking about this case study. And it's based on a submarine scenario. So I'm going to give a little bit of a, of an intro to this thing. The way this case study is set up is Lieutenant JG Malcolm Hodges is new to a boat coming out of dry dock. I think he's been on the boat for about four months. The boat's been in rehab. Help me out here, Chris. The boat's been in rehab uh, doing something for the last couple of years. Does that happen?
1: That happens with all submarines from time to time. They have to go into the shipyard. A lot of times they'll actually go into a dry dock. They take all the water away and they do really impressive work. They'll cut these submarines open and they'll move new equipment in, old equipment out. And sometimes it takes years. And And I've been in the position of Lieutenant Junior Grade Hodges. I actually was the MPA, which is his role, my first tour on a submarine at four months going on sea trials. Uh, and then my second tour, I was engineer and going on sea trials 10 months into it. Uh, so it, it, you could expect, as a submarine officer, especially if you two tours, to spend some time in the shipyard doing this sort of work.
0: All right. So so here's the deal: submarines coming out of the shipyard. Hodges has, has been on board for four months. This really is his first time going to sea with his crew, with his boat, and they're going through sea trials just to make sure they can check this thing out to make sure everything was was done properly. The CO's on the boat. He has his own perspective in terms of getting out there and showing that his career has made a difference to the Navy because he owns a boat now. He gets to run this boat and continue his career. And everyone else up and down the chain has their position. They have the things they're trying to do, not only to operate the boat safely and carry out the mission, but make sure their careers keep on going forward as as they see fit. So, Here's the here's the scenario. First time you're submerged, you're down at 50 percent of test depth. And all of a sudden, Hodges starts seeing a little leak come out of one of the auxiliary pumps or one of the auxiliary pipes. That really happens on boats?
1: Yeah, it does. And I tell you, the first time you see it, it's really unnerving because you look at this this pipe, you know, is connected to seawater and there's ocean coming out of it. And you don't expect that. That's not what you wanted to see when you were on a submarine. Uh, So it does arrest your attention and and it it freaks you out and it should. And that's what we see Lieutenant uh, junior grade Malcolm Hodges struggling with. Hey, this seems wrong. Let's stop. We have to stop. Right. There's a problem with my submarine and we're under the water.
0: So tell me what a chief means to Hodges at this point, if you follow me, because he talks to his chief about this. Right. Tell me tell me tell me that relationship and, and the amount of expertise and respect that goes back between those two guys.
1: This is such an important relationship for a division officer. The chief is in charge of the day-to-day operations of this division, but the MPA, this Lieutenant JG, is the division officer. He has positional authority. He has legitimate power that goes along with that, which he, he has the official sign-off on a lot of things. He is the one responsible for things going correctly in his division, but the chief is the one who's been doing it for 10, 15 years. The chief is the one with the experience The chief is the one who really understands what his or her team is doing on a day-to-day basis. So Lieutenant Junior Grade Hodges has all all the authority for the division, but none of the experience. And that means that there's a real power imbalance here. The chief has a lot of expert power, as we call it. And and that matters. And it's got to be relied on by that division officer who doesn't know nearly as much as they want to when they get in this position for the first time. Uh, So what that looks like is, on a day-to-day basis, if this is working right, the chief is making sure everything runs correctly. The division officer is talking to the chief, learning from the chief, hey, how? what are we doing today? What can I do to help line up our division's efforts with the rest of the department rest of the ship? And, and over a period of time, the division officer starts to learn how they can really add value for their division by being more proactive. But especially early on, there's a lot of going to the chief and saying simply, What's going on and what should I do?
0: So there's no issues that it's apparent in this case study relative to the chief having a agenda. The chief's being the chief, the JG's being the JG, and they're working with one another to try to understand what's going on. So so let me take you a little bit further into this case study. We do see a a panel where you know, some of the other sailors on the boat are saying, hey, you know, we've been away from home a long time. These guys are going to go for a sea trial and then they're going to go back to their home port in, in Kings Bay. So they are interested in getting home, but of course they want to get there safely. You see another panel where the XO is saying, hey, we got to get this boat tested out. We got to make sure it's legit and fit because there are national imperatives that we as submariners have to take care of. That's That kind of stuff happens too, right?
1: Absolutely. And we wanted to capture in this story the real human pressures that are there. And we can't fully recreate it when students go through this because it's not their families that they haven't seen. It's not them being told, you've got to do this, you've got to work weekends. So we can only go so far in recreating that. But both of these things you can expect to see on a ship coming out of shipyard. And that's not a swipe against shipyards. It's just how things tend to work. And, and I saw this in my last boat. We were supposed to get out on, on one day, and then we didn't leave until many months later. And it, it turned out, yeah, the families moved on the original date. So there was a period of time where the, the sailors, they were living apart from their families. And that adds enormous pressure, both in the lead up to going on sea trials and, of course, on sea trials, where they're really thinking about, hey, I just need to get to my new home port. And even if that shouldn't be the deciding factor, it's there in the back of their minds when they're evaluating whether or not they should keep operating. It's, it's a, a huge part of the calculus. And, of course, the other source of pressure is, hey, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And if we don't get this submarine out, that means there's another submarine out there who needs maintenance that's not going to get it. And maybe it might mean there's some missions that don't get covered. And we can't afford to not be covering missions right now. So, yeah, there's a ton of pressure, and and we tried to capture that in, in what I think is a realistic way in this story.
0: So, nuclear submarines are pretty darn complicated, and I think what we're really saying here is everything always doesn't come out 100% correct. One of the reasons you have sea trials is so you can you can actually see these things. Let's, let's go forward a little bit, Now I don't want to give away all the decision points, but let it be said that basically – it's going to be the JG who has to make some calls. Now, the Inge, and the XO and the captain are clearly involved with this, as well as the chief and the and the, and the cop. But we're looking to the main propulsion assistant to make a recommendation in cooperation with the other folks in the wardroom. And that's where this thing becomes a case study, a decisional case study where you have to make decisions. And again, we won't get into exactly which way you actually go through this through this panel. But I I think what we're really talking about is whether or not the lieutenant is willing to stick to his or her guns to make a point to say we need to halt or stop. Or I I agree with the recommendation. There are other case studies we've seen out of LEAD that are similar to this, like the challenger, right? I mean, the the question here, because you and I talked about that is, well, when do you make that call? And what happens when You hear something, especially from higher ups, where they're saying, wait a second, let's look at the bigger picture or a different picture, and they're trying to force you into decision. Is that what this is all about?
1: That's a good way of framing it. I'm so glad you brought up Challenger, because it is true that we modeled a lot of the dialogue in this story on what was said in the Morton Thiokol meeting for Challenger, which just to catch people up, the big takeaway with Challenger, which is just shocking, When you look back on it is Morton Thiokol, the folks who are experts in their solid rocket boosters, made a recommendation to NASA not to launch. NASA was concerned by that. They delayed many times and they basically told Morton Thiokol to try again. And then what we have, because there was a presidential investigation after the the explosion, is we have really well documented what happened in the Morton Thiokol meeting after NASA told them to try again. And they said, let's take a five-minute break. It turned into a multi-hour dialogue where the team convinced themselves to change their recommendation from don't launch to launch. And it was clear, of course, in retrospect, that was the wrong decision. It was clear to some at the time in the room it was the wrong decision, but there were some group dysfunctions which showed up, which prevented NASA from even knowing that everybody at Morton Thiokol wasn't on the same page. And it ultimately led to the loss of seven astronauts. And that is an important risk to be aware of for people who go out on submarines, because it turns out the sorts of material problems we encounter in submarines, and not just submarines, aircraft warships, they're the same sorts of problems. Challenger had an O-ring problem. We've got 10,000 O-rings on a submarine. So we can, can, if we're not careful, follow that same bad chain of logic responding to to pressure, which is well-intentioned but responding to that pressure in a way where we, we rationalize a really bad decision.
0: Can you give us a little bit of a brief on your ideas as the, as the subject matter expert? What do you what, With your experience, what's the best way you've found to actually teach this case?
1: What I've found to be useful is to, in class, take a class period, 50 minutes, break the class up into a couple groups. So we got about four people in each group and then have each group independently of the other groups, work through it together. And what I like about that is it forces the midshipmen to talk to each other as they're clicking through these different options. They have to discuss the key decision points. And and that discussion I have found to be very useful. And there's also an assignment that I give them after they're done, and they have to answer a couple questions. And those questions are generally looking at things we teach in the course, like what cultural problems did you identify as you worked through this that maybe led to you making a bad decision or what group dysfunctions or Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team or team design factors, which are all things we teach in the course, what problems did you see? And there's a slew of them. And then they'll get up in front of the class and say, Hey, these are the decisions we made, blah, 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 blah. It worked poorly for the most of them. And here's also the connections we see to course material. And then, the next day in class, what I will do, actually that ends up being two days. Presentations are a full second day. The first day is just go through it in class. The third day is I will go through Challenger using available, publicly available videos. And in particular, I'll show them the video which National Geographic did of Morton Thiokol's meeting, which is where we draw much of the dialogue from this story. And you can see their eyes get really wide when you hear the same key statements being made in the Challenger videos as they fell for, many of them, going through test depth. And that seems to really drive home the importance of the message that we're trying to send with this uh, story.
0: Commander Hart, this is really, really good stuff. So what does this say about the submarine community? These sorts of problems
1: are encountered every day in the submarine force. Where we have these tough decisions, where we're balancing operational priorities with uncertainty about what is safe to do right now. There are some best practices that we have developed, and we've developed them in particular since 1963 when we lost Thresher. If you're familiar with the Thresher story, you may have already noticed some connections, but for those who aren't, in April of 1963, the USS Thresher on sea trials at test Step had some sort of catastrophic flooding. We don't know all the details. We've been able to infer that we think there was probably a problem with a weld in the seawater system. You'll notice that is the source of the major failure that we have in this story, but we don't know at all what their decision-making process was. We don't know even with 100% certainty that that was the cause of the failure. So don't read in too much to the dialogue in this story. Even though you see parallels with Thresher, we have no idea what they said or what the decision making was. But we do know that the Navy, at least, had seen signs of problems with their welding processes in the, in the seawater systems. But just like the, the space shuttle program, with Challenger, those problems hadn't led to a catastrophic loss and hadn't been formally dealt with. And then Thresher was lost and it forced a complete reevaluation of how we do maintenance, how we make sure submarines are safe. And and the submarine force got a lot better as a result of it. Uh, so yes, there's elements of Thresher in this story, but the dialogue is mostly from Challenger. The sources of material failure in both are very, very similar. The idea that there was a problem that had manifested itself in multiple sea trials or space shuttle launches before. That's true in both stories, uh, and we also we know that humans don't, in groups, make decisions that are, are optimal in some instances, so we try to capture that in this story. Uh, I also want to capture how, as a submarine, you work through these sorts of things, because there are some good practices to work through the uncertainty that you're presented with here, and we try to show that or hint at it, at least, in this story without overwhelming you with what submariners think you should always do, but something that I recommend you do as as someone who is an engineer on these and face these problems every day, focus on formally resolving issues. So when somebody says, hey, I heard this is normal, red flag should go up. Well, let's look into it. Let's figure out if it is normal. And if we think it's normal, why don't we tell somebody and write it down somewhere so we can get some backup. So formally resolve issues. Use technical references. You'll see those show up throughout the This storyline, you'll see the joint fleet maintenance manual a few times, and that's not unintentional. We have a lot of data, so when you see that small leak in that first example, the couple drops per minute, we would go to reference and say, "Hey, is this small leak okay?" And we would figure out if it is, and we'd figure out what sort of process we could put in place to to continue operating. That might involve some risk mitigation, like not going any deeper. We might need to send a message to somebody to say, hey, this is the problem we ran into. Here's what we think the right answer is. Can you back us up? Now, a part of balancing risks, which is important and is not captured here, but it's a great discussion point, I think, is the idea that as you work through the story, there's one option, which is, hey, send a message. Send a message saying there's a technical problem. Send a message. And if you send a message, guess what? Headquarters in the storyline says, that's terrible. Pull in. But you will not always be in a position where sending a message is even an option. On C-Trials, it turns out we send a message every day. It's an option. But if in, they're in the middle of, of mission, if they're in theater doing something and they have that same problem, the decision to send a message to ask for technical guidance is completely different. There is a risk every time we decide to reach out and ask for help if we are conducting missions vital national security, that may not be the same risk calculus as it is when you're on sea trials. We send a message every day. Uh, So it's not as simple as, hey, just ask for help. Sometimes you just have to make the decision on your own, and you've got to do the best you can managing the risks that exist without knowing for sure if you're making the right decision. And that's a challenging and momentous task.
0: So Commander Hart, this really isn't about a little water leak. This is about so much more thanks for joining us and thanks for working with me on this scenario last time shameless plug www.stockdaleinteractive.com thanks for joining us thanks michael i appreciate it you've been listening to radio stockdale a series of podcasts produced by the stockdale center for ethical leadership at the united states naval academy You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.